0: where Paul and I interview online entrepreneurs about marketing and selling their memberships. Today, we're talking to Kathy Hay. Kathy's membership focuses on dressmakers who are focused on historical fashion. And what's really interesting about Kathy's membership is that she's had it since 2007. She's had one offer. She keeps it really simple, and she's evolved it depending on what the members are asking for. She'll talk a little bit about that more in the interview, and we can't wait for you to hear a little bit more about what she does, how she's evolved, and what she's doing now with her membership. So let's go ahead and dive in.
1: Kathy, I just want to welcome you to our show today. We're super excited. And I know we've talked about this even recently, but it's like uh, when we came into the online marketing space and you know, we saw these big influencers on stage, you know, the one, there was one consistent person that they, that kept popping up where they would give a case study, a story of success. And it was like this person, Kathy, hey, Kathy, who who's this Kathy person? You know, and it's like they're showing case studies and videos and, and, you know, it was really interesting, which you know, I think a lot of people get a lot out of this is that even before all the online marketing people, like you were already doing this. Like you yeah. were in the online space, you were rocking it out already. And I was just wondering if, just for context, though, I know Melissa did a little bit in the intro, but something that you do is very uniquely different to this internet marketing space. That you have a niche, a love, a passion for something that I don't even know if I could even explain it properly. <laughs> Because I would, I would just, like, totally mess it up. I was wondering if you could just explain a little bit about what you do on a daily basis.
2: Well, the easy way to put it is costume making. But really, it's historical dress. So it's sewing, dressmaking, but not having much interest in making modern clothes. It's looking at, you know, those costume movies and going, oh, where do I get one of those? I want to wear one of those. So it's exploring the history of dress. And recreating those clothes and what did it feel like to wear a corset or a big skirt or, you know, and and in some ways incorporating that into the way that we dress today. So there's a lot of craftsmanship involved and a lot of stuff that's been forgotten. So it's keeping lost skills alive in a way.
1: I love that it in in my personally growing up we we live in the Philadelphia region and there's always like from Gettysburg to Philadelphia like there's always community days where everybody gets dressed up there's Williamsburg that's not too far south from us I and know. at least within within our, our part of the US I really just admire cuz the intricate detail like you don't see that in clothing you know these days is it a, like a lost art is it something like you're helping people like food
2: lost but some of that has been I mean today clothing is made be quick and cheap and fast to produce Hmm. back then you went to your dressmaker you bought some fabric and you took it to your dressmaker or your tailor and the dressmaker or the tailor was showing off they you know more was more 150 years ago so it's a completely different approach and yes some other craftsmanship has been lost and you see it nowadays you'll only see it on Savile row or in you know some of the really big budget movies where they really go to town with the costume and the set design that's where those skills get used too and there's just a huge subculture of people out there who want to learn how to do it and they're watching these movies and going i i i yeah i'm not interested in nature i want to wear something a little bit more And that extends to all sorts of people who are a little bit out of the box, a little bit alternative, particularly big in our niche now. We have a lot of people who are trans people who are starting to say, well, I don't know whether I want to dress overtly, feminine or masculine. So how do we come up with something completely new? And they're putting together all these, using history as a source book or putting all these ideas together. It's really where fashion design comes from. You're looking at the past and taking ideas from here and there and what can we do with them? So it's
0: a very creative field. Oh my gosh, love that. And just how innovative and how it's always changing. That's just really, really inspiring. I would love to hear how you, because you, you have a passion for this. You've been doing this for some time now, but take us back to when you first brought this online and walk us back to the very beginnings of it, because I, I know you, you have a membership and it's evolved. So I'd love to hear how did you get started with the online space and bringing this to the online world?
2: Well, it really started with being, I, I was a dressmaker, I recognised that really the only kind of thing women are going to pay, pay bespoke prices for nowadays are wedding dresses. I was trying to get a wedding dress business going, and I was interested in the history of costumes, so can we make different dresses that are based on the past? And I started a blog online thinking, this is how I'm going to find brides. By starting a blog back then it was it was really before blogging it was a uh, journal was the platform we were using which was like it has a feed like facebook but it's basically people writing journal entries and it was very anonymous i noticed that people were starting to congregate on the internet around their interests not around their location so lots of people were coming together and there were people other people who were interested in historic dress. And I started noticing as I was posting about my projects, that people were commenting, and they weren't brides, there were other dressmakers who wanted to nab my secrets. (laughs) And it was easy to feel a little naffed off by this. But the the turning point was I started to realise, wait a minute, what if I have something I can offer to them? What if there's something that they can learn from me. What if, you know, what now that I've got their attention, the hard part is getting people's attention. Now that I've got somebody's attention, where can we go with that? You know, what can I offer to these people? So that was where it began. I started getting this idea together and was starting to realise that dressmaking was never going to really make a decent living. So that was when I started getting together this idea around, what if those of us who are really good at this what if we could like pass a hat around Mm. and raise some money for some of the people who are really good at this to really write proper tutorials so that we don't all have to reinvent the wheel and I think it was googling around at the same time how to make money online or something you know that kind of thing and I came across one of those old long-form sales letters and came across a course about how to build a membership and that was way the heck back and it was a very very early course it was all text and you know I remember reading and reading the sales letter thinking this might actually work this might actually work. this sounds like a decent idea so yeah I just went with it followed yeah. that course did what it said it took you know and and it was okay it wasn't great but I signed up a few people but the the part that was really pivotal, was a part of it that that made it work was something i' done completely organically which was before that point i'd been on live journal for four years by that point making friends building relationships sharing tips showing what i was up to and building trust and building relationships but when i did launch something boom 20 people joined and it just grew from there
1: i love that because it even to this day you're still giving in many communities and still building relationships so it's not a, it's not something that like just disappears so it's it's beautiful to see that and it's so how intuitive it was for in that moment where you were actually searching for the bride like the end user that mm-hmm. sometimes i normally call that like the secondary opportunity like we go into the market and we put something that we really want to do and yeah. then we realize like there's this whole other audience that's starting to ask us questions because we have a certain level of success or or something yeah. going on. And not too many of us listen to that noise because we're so f- hyper focused on our initial audience, where the the as and you recognize that earlier on, which is incredible because it's like the bigger opportunity that led you into the path that you are now. And it's what what I really love is that. You had a passion, like, this is what you did for a living. You created dresses and it led you in this new opportunity, this new direction where instead of doing one dress at a time for one bride and only making like that level of impact, like your knowledge and expertise and now what you're sharing with with people around the world. Like, can you only imagine like how many dresses or, or you know, corset, like just different wearables, like on a weekly basis or a yearly basis that you've had some type of influence with.
2: Oh, I have that. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty
1: amazing. You're yeah. dressing the world. That's yeah. what you're doing.
0: <laughs> I would love to hear too. So you initially started off with the membership and you just, like you said, you just put it out there and you got people to sign up. So how has your membership evolved throughout time? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do inside of your membership? Well, it started out, when it started out, again, early
2: on, 2007. So I was thinking more in terms of an online magazine. But we would publish stuff, put it out there. People would pay for it. It would be like a magazine online. And it was very, um, just was very simple. And it worked up to a point. And we kind of booked along with a hundred, couple of hundred, 300 members for a long time, just because I was well-known to people recommending it. And, I mean, another people thing at that point was that I was in such a small niche. It was the first of its kind. You know, there are sewing magazines out there like Threads with you know thousands of subscribers. Nobody had ever done something specifically for costume makers. So I had people signing up and saying, look, I can join twice if you need me to, because this is so awesome that you're actually doing this. Because it was really, I was supporting a whole new niche in a way. And I, I had read the advice to pick a small niche and dominate it. Don't try and compete in health and fitness out of the gate, just general health and fitness. You go for something really small where there's no competitors and you do really well. So we started out pretty well with that, but it was a few years in, you know, when Facebook, I mean Facebook came after us, but when Facebook started out and Facebook groups started to happen and people were start to, starting to talk about community, that was when I started to think, oh wait, we need people to be able to talk to each other. And to be able to share within the membership and for members to talk to each other. So, again, very simple, went to the Facebook group and made it a community. And that was when things really started to take off because the membership had a sense of identity by that point. It wasn't just like a magazine, which is like a printed piece, it wasn't just an object we were sending out to people. It was a home that people were coming to. And that just completely changed the game. So, that was, that was the probably the biggest change. And then sometime after that, I started asking friends of mine to become coaches. One of the major things I think I did differently was I've never positioned myself as the expert, particularly. I was more about bringing a community together. Let's let's ask all of the people. I knew a lot of people, so I was a person who could ask a lot of different people, the people who really knew what they were doing in different areas of this niche, different periods of history or whatever to have them come in and give us some help. So I hired three friends who had a very different expertise to come in and be coaches. And that, again, was another leap because people could actually get one-on-one advice from people we were positioning as mentors and coaches to have help with their projects so they could post pictures of what they were making and the mentors would be able to comment and say, yeah, you need to take it a little bit here. You know, your sleevelet needs a little bit of something here. And that again just changed the game, and I think to to this day that's the most valuable thing that we have within the membership is that mentorship opportunity.
1: It's it's really awesome to think that you originally bought into like an information product that was totally text based, you know, yeah. and back in two thousand seven. It's funny because. Only two years before that was YouTube even invented. Mm. So it's like it wasn't even hitting mainstream. So people weren't talking video online or anything like that. So your concept of like creating a membership that was basically a magazine, especially during that period of time, because people weren't streaming video, they weren't uploading videos like crazy or anything like that. And so I would assume that it was probably mainly text-based and photo-based originally? Pretty and-
2: much, yeah. It was It was certainly those one form sales. lessons. I seem to remember there was about that time that they started putting an audio file on it. Ooh, audio. <laughs> and you could play the actual voice message. So, yeah, it was that early on. It really was all text. It was pre-YouTube, pre-Facebook. I say so we were, you know, blogging on a very early, you know, proto- social media and yeah it was it was early days so in a way that helped keep it simple because nowadays you've got so many different possibilities so many platforms you can publish on you know you're the choice whereas back then with fewer choices it was in a way easier to get started in a way a lot harder because you had to know a little bit of html here and there (laughs) a little bit of coding involved so but i could cope with that so you know it's a different world now So in a lot of ways, a lot easier. In a lot of ways, you know, the choice makes it more difficult.
0: And if I understand right, you've just kept it to the same membership. So this membership you've had the entire time you've kept it to one offer, and it's really simple with your business. Can you tell us a little bit just about that? Like it's it's, it's the same membership that you've had all this time. It is,
2: yes. We just have one product, one membership. We launched it in November 2007, as I say. We still have to this day – two or three people who joined us in November 2007 over wow. those 15 years. So that's just very, that's a blessing to me to really, to know we must be doing something right. Those three people are still there. Well, it's changed very recently because I didn't anticipate us growing like we did. Mm. So we bumped along with about five to 700 members for a lot of years. We sort of hit that plateau. And I added things like community and the coaches, and that worked. And people were paying $30, $40 a month for coaching, you know, full-on coaching. And then come 2018, 2019, I'm getting onto YouTube. I'm getting known by other YouTubers who are doing better than I am. Suddenly, they start talking about us, and we went, and the whole thing just blew up overnight. The beginning of COVID, we doubled in a week. We just launched just as lockdown was starting and people were like, well, what do I do now? Again, we launched again in October 2020 and it, it grew the same amount again. So it effectively we trebled in six months. And I started realising that huh, 700 people coached by three mentors, that worked because not all of them posted at once. When you're now dealing with 2,000 members, 2,500 members, the mentors are going to be a little stressed out. So, I mean, in COVID times, it It kind of worked because they also work in theatre and film and all of those jobs shut down. So they came to us and did some extra work for us instead. But I realised that we couldn't sustain a membership charging $40 a month for that much individual help. So we split it into two tiers where the top tier for the coaching went up in price. There was no point just adding a lower tier because everybody would still want the $40 a month for all the coaching, so that had to go up in price. And we produced uh, a slightly cheaper version that uh, included everything that was scalable. So, back to the sort of magazine idea everything we were publishing, fine, you know, thousands of people enjoying that, and it's not a problem. But the coaching had to become a separate tier. And if I'd had the foresight, if I could go back and do it again. I would have foreseen that earlier. you know you can give away too much in trying to become more successful and then it explodes and you've got a problem. I
1: mean that that's great perspective because I think a lot of people when they build a membership or a course or they put any offer, they think like, oh, the first day that they go out with it, like that's a permanent decision that I can't change, it can't evolve. So a lot of people don't launch, they don't put something in the market because they're trying to create some perception of perfect you know, before they do it. And it, it's just great to hear your evolution over these years, because it sounds like you really listen to your people, but you also listen to yourself, you know, yeah. and it's like, what's sustainable? And you realize like yeah. these certain resources, these deliverables, they had to change just because yeah. of dynamic.
2: You know, sometimes what works at one level might break you at the next level. So you've also got to, always got to be thinking ahead. The most useful thing in that initial course that I took, that little text course, was that the teacher had said to us, just get something up there. Mm-hmm. In terms of building the, the site and putting it up on, just get something up there. It doesn't have to be even that great. As, long as, you've, as soon as you've got something up there, that's the hard part. When you've got something up there, you can iterate and tweak that thing to your heart's content, and you'll have a great time doing so. It's just getting that version 1.0 up there is the hard part. So whatever it is, let it be what it is. Just get version, you know, scrappy version 1.0. Just get it up there and then start playing.
1: I love that. And if we could, with this perspective that you do have now, and having that as like a resonating thing, because I think that was an incredible piece of advice that even to this day you remember, because that's what started you on this path of where you're having your current and future successes, is if we could go back to your version 1.0 self and we could rewind back. but with the knowledge and expertise and the perspective that you have at version whatever you're on right now. Is there any advice that you would give your 2007 self based on the what you know oh, now?
2: That's a good question. I would say always be building it with the thought of would this work with 10,000 people? Mm. Not hoping that maybe one day it will become that, but expecting it to get that big. Because when it gets bigger, when it does get successful, it isn't just like, oh, the ship's come in and everything's great. You know, you get a a new level, you get new problems. So if you can be always planning ahead and expecting it to get big and thinking about, will this still work when it has twice as many people, three times as many people, then you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache later having to sort of backpedal and think of ways of doing things that don't look like you're taking something away because it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, when things when things scale, things start to get tricky because then you're a lot more visible. So building it at the outset, like you expect thousands of people to be interacting with it in the future, will save you a lot of heartache later. Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent. And we always like to hear about people's perspective on marketing and something creative we like to ask all our guests is if you only had $500 to market yourself, how would you use that money to get your message out there?
2: If I was starting right at the beginning again with the tech we have now, (laughs) I would spend the $500 on uh, a reasonably decent camera like the kind vloggers use and a good audio pack. And start producing video, whether it's YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or whatever you want to do. You start getting yourself out there, but the the thing that really makes the difference that you can start out with just your phone. It's fine, and you can you can do fine with just starting out with what you've got. If you've got five hundred dollars to spend, if you just have good audio, it makes all the difference, and you come across as 500% more professional. So I think I would spend that money on just a little bit of equipment I need to make video that's just a little bit higher quality, and then that will get more traction more quickly. But just to stress, it's not that's not a barrier to starting, but it will help. You know, you can notice if you go back and look at YouTubers when they started and when they started getting better, and better and more popular. One of the big changes is when they get good audio. When they get a nicer camera, when they take care of the background, when they've got you know a proper tripod so the thing is at the right height. So there's just subtle things that make it look a little bit, a little bit better. Other than that, you wouldn't necessarily need money for it, but I would still go for aim for being a big fish in a small pond. Mm. Find a small pond and be a big fish, you know, rather than trying to compete in a huge crowded market you'll make it much easier
1: on yourself. I love that because we constantly fight the the battle of hearing about niche down, niche down, niche down. And then a lot of people get get afraid of, of niching too far. But what, oh, yeah. what really resonates, I think, on this conversation is like what you did is that you, you found your people and they found you and you get each other and, and how you were just explaining like your audience. And the different diversity of backgrounds and their their purposes and reasons why, like you, you do have a, a large cross-section of people that have found you for their own reasons, but you have one common, you know, thing yeah. that you all are passionate about. And yeah. and I think that's the key when it comes to niching is just really finding that common problem or that common interest or aspiration.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's, just, it's certainly just... a Venn
2: diagram of different people who are interested, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That is awesome. So. We're going to naturally have some people that are going to be like, oh my goodness, I love Kathy. And I want to figure out how I can follow her or get into her world because they most likely, this resonates with them today. And this might be an outlet or a passion that they want to pursue. Is there any contact or anything Mm -hmm. that you have that you you could provide or, you know, how somebody can get in touch or get into your world?
2: My website where the membership is is foundationsreview.com. Great. Excellent.
0: Kathy, thank you so much for your time today. We've really enjoyed chatting with you and Really, it just it's so inspiring to see how you took one idea and your passion and you just put it out there and how it's evolved. And also just inspiring. you kept it simple. You know your audience. You've improved it, evolved it throughout the years. And so it's just really inspiring. And I know everyone's going to really enjoy listening to this interview with you today and, and following your journey as you continue to, to touch lives and you know really get yourself out there in the world of what you do.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, just, I would encourage anybody listening to just go for it. Don't be afraid to be in a tiny, tiny pond. Just do what you really, really love because it will carry you for years and years and years. Thank you. Thank you. You're Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the online marketing podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show for free strategies and tips to market and sell your offers.